the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. As you can see, those of you that are watching us live, we are going to be talking about dark horses for the upcoming season. And one thing that we will do, as the chat is already asking, is defining a dark horse. So don't worry, okay? We're we are going to set some parameters and we have some selections both to win the national championship and also at every single power conference. Uh, you might want to go and grab a ticket because once again, just to just to gloat on his behalf, Bud Elliott told you that TCU was a good dark horse pick to win the Big 12. No, they didn't do that, but they were a great pick. And then you <laughs> went into that Big 12 title game. You were holding a, a lot of good leverage opportunities to be able to go and make a, a Kansas State play. Right, Bud? I actually listened to the clip last night, and this, I guess, is kind of gloating. If you let it play out, I'm like, if Oklahoma doesn't play to its talent level, I think you got to look at TCU and then – Kansas State was the other one. It's like probably a pretty good chance to get that. Yeah, that was that was fun. Like it is kind of fun. And I think you have to define dark horse differently in each of these leagues. Like in some of these leagues, it's kind of like two teams or, or the field. And some of it's like four oh. or the field, right? Yeah. 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 So there this was be fun. There was absolutely a national title dark horse that I had a problem that was on the list of do not select. And we'll have to get to that when we get yeah. there. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, good. Okay. Before we get there, uh, Caesar's uh, odd makers, you you are on alert. Let's go. <laughs> DK's uh, got some issues. We uh, a few recruiting notes. Um, first of all, just you know the way that things are changing with the national letter of intent. Uh, the national letter of intent is going to lighten its penalties 
in the 2024-25 cycle. And one reason that I'm very glad to bring this up, even if we only need a couple of minutes, is that the foremost expert on telling you not to sign the National Letter of Intent is right here on the podcast. So, Bud, what do you make in terms of the NCAA adjusting its process? And what do you think, you know, what is the, the real world fallout in terms of how this changes the, uh, the recruiting? And from what I understand, maybe the transfer uh, rules as well. Yeah, so... Uh- this is something we, we've long called for, right? Like, like the, a school should not be able to try to hold you to a letter of intent if the guy you sign with, the, the head coach, leaves. So that, that, that's one of the major changes. Uh, you, you don't have to sit out a full year if you go through a certain amount of time on campus anymore. It's basically just an effort by the NLI to try to stay relevant as fewer and fewer kids uh, who are you know, elite-level kids, right? Like, if you're if you're a dad or a mom of a player at home and your, your player is kind of like a – like a two-star recruit or like a fringe three-star, I'd probably sign it because it gives you a little bit of a PR edge if the school tries to not honor it, right? Like, hey, we signed. You guys are, are not upholding your end of the bargain. If you're an elite kid, you really should not be signing a letter of intent because it does bind you, but doesn't really guarantee you anything. So from that standpoint, obviously, I still would not sign if, if you're a really good player. But the, the new uh, restrictions that are being lifted, I think are ultimately a good thing and an effort to try to stay relevant. I, I don't know how much longer we have an NLI in this sport. Like, I think you may just go to a point where, all right, everybody just enrolls early now anyway. I mean, the, the majority of these kids are finishing up, at least at the top top classes. They're going in early. Can I ask a question? Who who hasn't signed an NLI in recent years? Like, did Arch Manning sign one, or was he of that category where he didn't? You know, or they're just is it a select few, or is it a, is it a growing number? Well, a, a lot of kids who enroll early don't sign at all. Right, they just in, enroll, or, or they'll sign financial aid papers, uh, and you can sign financial aid papers with, with a lot of schools. So, uh, guys who have not signed, I think the most notable one who took it like the entire distance was Roquan Smith, right? And uh, and he was going to go to UCLA, did not go to UCLA. They had coaching changes. I think Jim Mora was either in or out or something like that, or there were some kind of rumors. He smartly just said, "Look, man, I'm I'm good enough. I know my rights as a player, and I know my market value." I'll just enroll in the summer after I get to see what happens in this offseason. And, and Rokon was right. And obviously, you know, I kind of finessed his way to a really good deal in the NFL as well. Clowney waited a long time. Um, JTT at Ohio State. Yeah, JTT, uh, uh, Pryor as well. I think Terrell Pryor waited, if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken there. But nowadays, it's not as big of a deal because guys just enroll in January. So they're not delaying their enrollment to, you know, to August. Very few of them are actually enrolling in August uh, among the elite players. The um, you are not going to have a penalty if you request a release as a result of a head coaching change. Is that enough? I mean, it, it seems to me like if, if assistants are the ones that recruit you, they're the ones you establish a relationship with. Assistants are the ones that we see shuffle even more than head coaches do, especially in that big wave right after these signing days. And that's where on the human level, I'm like, oh, that stinks because you might not have even talked to the head coach that much. You thought that this was going to be your guy but could you even, from like the sports standpoint, be able to release everybody from assistant coaches? Like, is that would that be going too far? You think? I've always proposed you name four coaches, right? Head coach, area recruiter, the coordinator on the side of the ball that you agree that you're going to play with the school. Like, obviously, like just you and the school need to agree on, on the form and a position coach. If a strength coach leaves or like a DB coach, but you have to play offensive line, no. But if it's your area recruiter, position coach, coordinator on the side of the ball that you play, or the head coach, I think those are substantial enough relationships you should be able to get out scot-free. 
Totally agree. And I think back to when I was recruited, it was there were kind of a top three schools that kind of developed. It was Florida State, and I talked to Coach Bowden a handful of times, but I talked to Mark Richt you know, on a weekly basis. Hey, how you doing? I developed that relationship with him. When it was Michigan, it was Cam Cameron at the time. He was the quarterback coach. Talked to Gary Moeller maybe twice, but he was calling me all the time, and I really liked him. That was the guy I was going to be working with. The thing that was interesting about Florida, Spurrier, I talked to some, but Charlie Strong, who was a, de- a defensive guy, was my area recruiter, but I really liked him and developed a really good relationship with him. So I think that's why it is important because some schools, you know, if it's – a school out west, they might just not have their quarterback coach, you know, work the southeast. They might have somebody who's more geared that's familiar with that territory. So that's why I think it's really important you put in that that area recruiter because they'll develop a relationship with a guy who has nothing to do with his position whatsoever. Man, that's such a good I idea. I do I do so, Bud, would when you say four do you have to declare them ahead of time or is it just it's it's a written in stone? Because I do think if you said, hey, if assistants leave, it would be a loophole that people would take advantage of. And right, you start yeah, hearing I, guys, well, because you talk to every coach and be like, yeah, well, that guy recruited me, you know, and then you could have it as a loophole where guys would take advantage of it. I think you and the school should just be able to agree. Right. Like if you're signing to go to the school, you you probably have a pretty good relationship with them. And like there shouldn't be any real guesswork on, on who the four but two of the four are pretty automatic unless you're like, I don't know what position I'm gonna play. <laughs> At that point, it's kind of 247 sports tells us a primary and a secondary for a lot of these guys. Like they're right. able to identify who the coaches are. And sometimes, like you mentioned, it's not even that side of the ball. It might be the area recruiter side of this. Yeah, it, it, exactly right. I I don't think it needs to be that hard. Just put put the four on the form and you know, I, I don't really like any kind of restrictions on guys who aren't employees, but if you're going to have them, at least have them be reasonably tied to the influence that got the player to sign with the school. Did you guys hear Mac Brown on Feinbaum? He's no, he's been talking a lot. Uh, he said within two years, he thinks players are going to be employees. That's the first time I've heard somebody ooh. that aggressively come out with a timeline and like, I think they're all getting on board because they realize we have to. They want to be ahead of it. They don't want to be the person that's fighting it. And I love Mac, but I think he's also like the godfather of the college football you know, coaching circles. I think he knows this as well. But to put two years on it, I think that was very interesting. And that, to me, is the biggest concern for the ACC. When you do go to that model, that's when things get really dicey as far as it's your future and your ability to compete with the SEC and Big Ten because they'll have deeper coffers. His, the only thing that was weird about it when he when he said it he said, he's like, I don't know how it works. Is it the collectives are funded through the school? Like, he didn't mention the TV side, the TV money. He was like, is there a salary cap that comes through I've the various him, collectives? Yeah, I've heard him talk about salary mm-hmm. caps, but there's something else that Mac has been saying that I do think is very important. And we we have so many conversations, minutes and hours spent on the health of the sport, good of the sport, this, that, or the other. But one thing that he has identified that I am totally on board of is we are asking too much from our fans and from our boosters and our donors. We're asking you to give to the school. We're asking you to give to the athletic department. And now we're asking you to give to the collective as well. You know, the price of the tickets are continuing to go up as we create all these different opportunities. We cannot ask for the time, the money, the investment, the donations, and continue to ask more and more and more and put the onus of paying players on them. And to your point, Danny, like when he is out here, That seems like he's looking out for people enjoying, and he's probably hearing from donors that are like, "Look, who do I give money to? I don't, I don't even know anymore." And that's not that's not a functional financial system to be able to support the players moving forward. 
I, I see a lot of this stuff on Twitter. Like, how will these collectives survive? And I'm like, I, who says they have to survive in the long term? We, we had Matt Brown and a couple other legal experts on the show, and they felt not the two-year time span that Matt Brown gave, but uh, within a half decade, they thought it was very likely players would be paid as employees. I, until I see actual like evidence otherwise, I kind of think a lot of these collectives as you know, band-aid uh, for where we're at right now that are not intended to last for 10 or 20 years. I mean, like m- maybe Spire becomes like a great marketing agency or something like that, that it expands beyond just Tennessee, but don't they seem like kind of like pass-throughs right now and, until these guys become employees? And the schools are like, please give to us again. Stop! Yeah. You've stopped your donations to us and now they are going to the collectives. Mm. Yeah. Oh no. Danny Frozen? It's a good face. I think Danny is for that. Is that's a good for like on the frozen face scale? I mean, Danny, that is uh, that's pretty good, man. All right. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. I don't know. Hotel Wi Fi seems a little dicey early in the show. So Danny, sorry, Danny didn't pay that. for the upgrade. <laughs> Come on, um, Silverstein. Sorry, Danny, you got any, anything else on that? Uh, I don't want to go down a whole rabbit hole, but I do think it's interesting because what like the sat like if you mentioned the legal guys said that we'll get to that you know that uh, that area is that money coming from the tv deals directly and if we do have a pro salary cap do you still think teams will use boosters donors collectives to go above and beyond that salary cap like i think my in in the like my mind i'm thinking oh great salary cap that means parity but i don't know if it necessarily does because i think you still have endorsement deals and they'll marketing be more deals. like marketing deals just like yeah. people you know play hey when you play in new york there's an opportunity to make more money so free agents you know want to go play in a big city market i think it'll still be there'll still be ways to lure the top players even in a salary cap world any what year did the, the 49ers circumvent the salary cap remember that it was a pretty big thing it was early 90s uh maybe late 90s, ultimately the, the extent to which teams go outside the salary cap will be controlled by, like A, the absolute amount of donations that, that come in, and then B, what the, what the prospective penalties are if you get caught, right? Like we don't hear about NFL teams going outside the salary cap anymore because the 49ers got slapped pretty good uh, what, in, in whatever year that was. My guess here is – my guess here is they probably won't to a huge extent – assuming that, that the players are, are, are getting paid what they are and that the penalties are, are a lot. I also think it makes more sense for these guys to be employed by, by the, the, uh, the conferences, not, not the schools, so that they're not subject to Title IX, uh, but rather to Title VII, right? which is a lot uh, less stringent of a law to comply with. Because that's employment as opposed to you know, Title IX, which is you know, uh, the, the, the equity one. <laughs> But Elliot Esquire, we will dive into that one in another show. We got, we got actual football to talk about. But I did, before we hit the break, wanted to ask, because June is winding down right now. July 1, a lot of teams are moving. Want to talk about that tomorrow as part of our mailbag. But June is such a massive, massive month for recruiting the upcoming cycle, which, of course, would be the 2024 cycle. So just you know, from everything that you've gathered, obviously, you've been on the road. You've been talking to a lot of guys. 24-7 Sports is just does phenomenal work on this front. What do you think are like who are some of the big winners that you've noticed in terms of teams and staffs that have improved their position from where we were at the beginning of the month to where we are heading into July? Yeah, so uh, I would say both Ohio State and Michigan have had a really, really strong Junes. Ohio State's sitting at number two right now, sixteen commits overall, two five stars, twelve four stars. like that's that's an awesome start. Michigan as well has been picking up a lot of top players, fourteen blue chips in the class already. I'm going to go Florida here, right? Like they're up to number four 
in the rankings, they, they've had two really good weeks, and I, I think it was important. Like you, you, you lose Simmons to Ole Miss, and then Billy Napier's like, watch this. Let, let's get some momentum going. And I, I, I already see in the chat, they're going to be like, okay, well, Florida's going to lose all these kids because they're over under win total is five and a half. And I, I, I get that. In theory, if Vegas is right, will they lose some of these kids? Probably, but probably not all of them. And what if Vegas is wrong? What if Florida is able to have some good close game luck and plays a lot of like drag you in the muck type games and is able to go eight and four? Then you have that recruiting momentum from the summer. You can show tangible improvement in the win column, and maybe you can actually build upon that class. So I think Florida is another one to look out here. And then uh, if you're going to mention Florida, let's stay in their own division. Georgia is still on track to have the best recruiting class of all time. So there is that. And their number one overall quarterback looked like the number one overall player in the country at Elite 11. So, But yeah. I did a deep dive on your Georgia won a title in the rebuilding year take. It's scary. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really terrifying. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Coming up on the other side, we're not talking about Georgia. No, 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 no. We got to go deeper. We're identifying dark horse candidates for 2023 at the national championship and conference championship levels. All that and more next eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Very fun show we like to do during the offseason. Sort of, you know, whet your appetite as we prepare to get through win totals beginning in July. Uh, We get all of our championship picks, our expert picks. I mean, it, it is just a downhill sprint once we turn the calendar. So let's go ahead and get it started with Dark Horse Candidates for 2023. So the line that has been drawn, and Danny already has taken issue with this. So for the Dark Horse National Championship picks for today's show, we say no Georgia, no Ohio State, no Alabama, no Michigan, no USC, no LSU, no Clemson, no Florida State, no Texas, no Penn State, Danny, who is on that list that you think should qualify as a dark horse? Well, see, since there weren't any rules uh, set forth in the doc that I was able to peruse, (laughs) I just assumed I wrote down, I was actually putting in the chat, I said Penn State, dark horse for the national championship. And then I looked on the list. I was like, wait a second. I'm like, let me double check, make sure they're not. Oh, wait a second. I can't pick them. 
I think if you haven't had a national title in 30 years, you should be a dark horse uh, in any list to win a national championship. I get they're a trendy pick this year, and our buddy Tom has been all over them. I'm finding myself maybe gravitating. Uh, obviously, if I was willing to take them as a dark horse, but I still think they are an outside shot for the national championship. It could be and should be considered a dark horse. So let me ask you a question on this. Is Danny really mad about this, or is Danny mad because he got in the dock third and Chip and I had already made their pick? So he so he he had the last pick on all of these because because Chip true. and I, I got. But let, let's put it to a vote of the chat, right? Like, I what I did was I grabbed the top ten odds for the national title on Caesars. I was like, all right, everybody out, outside of this. But Penn State's odds are kind of long. They're third in their own division, right? So, chat should Danny be allowed to pick Penn State as his national title dark horse? What do we think? I already it, see several. DK is right. Yeah, <laughs> except yeah, for Yosef, Broden, whatever Robert. Braden is. <laughs> so the, do we agree that let's let's go with everybody right there on the cut line? Do we agree that uh, Florida State does not count as a national championship dark horse? It's not one I would pick, but yeah. if you're going to include them, I I think I understand. It's kind of like how much do you respect the marketplace, right? I guess um, they are a really trendy pick to make the playoff. Like Correct. they're. The, the, there's a big disparity between their make the playoff odds and win the playoff odds, mm-hmm. which I think tells you like path is a big part of it, right? And um, then Texas is Texas mathematically should absolutely be there. That's what makes it fun about like if you were to say Texas is a dark horse, it's less fun because you, it'd be more fun to bet that Texas is, has no chance, right? Again, yeah. for you to be jumping on the other side of it. Again, not a position that I found myself in here at the end of June. All right, we're seeing a lot of yes. All right, Danny, so give me more about right, Penn State, State Danny. Let's well, go. Do you want me to go with my more? Do you want yeah, me to go with dude. my backup plan? I'll get Chad says yes. I'll I'll go with both because I do think they're a team that has the roster makeup. I think the defense has been great. I think Manny Diaz has been awesome uh, as a pickup for them. Maybe a guy that's better suited in that role as a coordinator than a head coach. But the big difference maker for me is look what they did with Sean Clifford, who was a what a Jag plus at best at quarterback. Now this is assuming. Drew Aller is that guy that comes in, elevates this team, takes them to a next level. They were already close. They've been close. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were that team from the Big Ten that could be the last one standing. I agree. I mean, like I don't love their matchup with Michigan just because Michigan kind of bullied them on the inside and not really sure Penn State's like interior D line is great. But if they can manage to pull that game off, they've played with Ohio State pretty well. It's not hard to win or not easy to win there in Columbus. But yeah, that, that one makes a lot of sense. Uh, makes a way more sense than Oregon. All right, so here's my take on Oregon. What we do for the last two years, we looked at Stetson Bennett, and we were like, ah, he's not that great. Like, he's not that good. And then all of a sudden, what has he done? He's won back-to-back national titles. I feel like Bo Nix, I'm in the same position. I'm with Stetson Bennett. Like, all of a sudden, you look at his numbers, and we all are like, eh, what on our QB draft that we did, our QB rankings? None of us had him on there. And we're all like, ah, probably put him on the do not draft list. If he comes back and puts up numbers like he did this past season and builds on it, Dan Lanning gets that defense a little bit closer to where they are, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all to see them have a special type season. Now, the depth of the the Pac-12 definitely becomes an issue, especially the top. I think ultimately they'll probably cannibalize each other, but maybe, there's, maybe that happens across the board, and there is a two-loss Pac-12 champion that possibly could get in if they're in, I think you could see one of those anything could happen type scenarios. I'm a little concerned about defensively 
and sort of like the depth of skill position talents um, around Bo Nix, but he can he can be an all Mister Everything. And also the the funny thing about Oregon is like negative you lose Kenny Dillingham, but positive we really like the replacement hire of being able to bring in Will Stein from UTSA. So mm-hmm. you know some some balance there uh, with the Ducks. All right, Bud, where are you going? This might surprise some people on Twitter, but but I'm actually going to go with Notre Dame. Where are you at, Michael is- Campbell? In the house. Let's Look, go. Oh, I, I saw Michael Cam- Michael Campbell got the band hammer uh, from Nada last episode, but I don't know if that's like a one show or if that if he just popped off and did something that we're going to have to you know, give him a, a, a couple show timeout for. Look, I, I think Notre Dame has some serious long tails on both sides of their projection, okay? like Do we know if Marcus Freeman can be a head coach? Not really. He had some real struggles last year. I don't know if he can manage a program. Recruiting is up somewhat under him. They go out and make a big-time upgrade at quarterback. Another unknown. Like, can Sam Hartman unlock yet another level outside of that Wake Forest system? And I know Wake fans save it. I know he's not all about the slow mesh, but there's certainly a portion of his production, you know, that that is accounted for by the slow mesh. Now, offensive line, I think that is a knowable. Like, we know that's a damn good offensive line. Like, they do a really good job. Running back's okay, I, I think. And receiver, I didn't like the receivers last year. The coaches I talked to didn't either. Maybe they had some good games that you know other coaches would disagree with me. Who knows? I think they can take a big step up this year, and I really like what they have on the back end. I mean, Morrison and Hart is a really nice corner combo. So, yeah, man, like if Notre Dame plays to its absolute ceiling, like if Marcus Freeman checks the box, yeah, I can be a head coach, not just a D coordinator, right? I know how to manage games better. Yes, but like – I think that their offensive coordinator hire is very concerning. It doesn't mean it won't work out, but they clearly struck out on the guys they really wanted, and I think they cheaped out and went in-house. But there's still a possibility that their ceiling is high enough that if everything clicks for Notre Dame and their front seven is a little bit better than I think, that possibly they could take it home. This is is a tough exercise, man. Listen, listen. It is. Do you want to hear the the great – the slow mesh? This is the other side of it. Going through and getting the advanced analytics – that show how Sam Hartman's numbers improve when he throws from a clean pocket and arguing that the slow mesh actually hurt Sam Hartman because he always had to throw from a muddy pocket and that with the increase in offensive line that we are projecting and that I agree with, that Sam Hartman will actually be better. Not agreeing, I'm just giving you the full deep Notre Dame, like talking yourself into this, be like, he, I know that he has the record for ACC passing touchdowns, but he's actually going to be better with us here at Notre Dame. This is going to unlock the real Sam Hartman. Do you want to hear the opposite side of that? Because yeah. I talked to Les Johns of Demon Deacon Digest 24-7, and he was like, I'm not worried about replacing Sam Hartman. He's like, Warren Ruggiero, this offense has been great no matter who's been calling the shots. Like, I don't expect much drop-off. So there's both sides of the coin there. I think the bigger issue is – did Sam Hartman go to Notre Dame to play for Tommy Reese? <laughs> you know, like we were talking about that with some some younger guys that signed, and what kind of an issue is that going to be replacing, you know, their offensive coordinator? It sounds like Notre Dame took care of Sam Hartman pretty well. I I, I think he would have gone to Notre Dame to play for like me or you. Um, <laughs> like, I, you know, is kind of kind of starting that professional career early. Hey, so our boy BQ says zero. What? Zero. zero. NIL. I, I just don't believe it. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm with you guys. I, I don't know. 
Oh, there were a lot of zeros. I'm sorry. You missed <laughs> oh, zeros. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was early in the cup. <laughs> he had already committed. Stuff. He had already done. He had already, it was already a done deal. He's like, no, no, no. He's, he just wants to come play for the Irish. Um, I, sure. when I'm looking for my dark horse, I, I want volatility. Give me Texas A&M, like the total boomer bust. Like if Bobby Petrino works and this offense takes off, this is where we get to like the overly simplistic view of winning a national championship. The, not that blue chip ratio is simplistic, but just like talent that the talent that has come into college station over the last three to four years suggests that when it comes to getting to the college football playoff and having to go in two games against the best teams in the country, there's no flaws. Well, there might be flaws on the sideline. There might be flaws in some of the ways that things are approached, but the raw talent of this team, I think is undeniable. And so when you want to look for those longer odds, like take that Texas A&M ticket because you're going to have a better payout than you're going to get from anybody else in the SEC. And then all of a sudden, you got a little bit of value if they are able to make it to the college football playoff. Are you, Liz, you want to go to the SEC? Still, do you want to expand on that? You said you had Texas A&M as your SEC uh, dark horse. What, yeah. Was was they were putting a ceiling on that? You would not take them for national title? No, I just the 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 more I considered Notre Dame, I was like I I could see this because because there's a path there as well. Like if Notre Dame plays to its ceiling, it's only an underdog once, I think. Probably right, and they they played Clemson well last year. So like the the, the path for the Irish is you know uh, challenging at times, right? You got to go to Clemson, you got to play Ohio State, but if they're at their ceiling, they're not going to struggle with like like a Navy, Duke, you know, Stanford certainly is one of their road games, which is not difficult. Uh, so I A and M was kind of my other other choice here. Like like you got to pick a team that you really think can bang if they get to those final two games, and I I like the Irish's offensive line. All right, Danny, where are you going with this one? SEC. I, w- I would have gone Texas A&M, but I didn't want to make it a clean sweep. And I saw, you know, Tennessee, I think, is that team that if they build on what they did last year, if their defense gets better. I mean, they had their past defense was one of the worst in the country. If they could just get incrementally better. And Joe Melton is a success in a system which has been very quarterback friendly. I mean, so much so that it gets criticized for, you know, and quarterbacks get knocked for playing of it. If Milton just plays within the system, makes good decisions, you know, orchestrates that offense. I think they'll be able to, once again, replace some of the receivers they've lost. I mean, it's more of a the system that we've talked about. And I also think there is a chance they could be um, that team that, you know, possibly loses to Alabama on the road. But if they get Georgia on a down day, you know, in one of, in one of Georgia's biggest tests of the year, maybe the only big test, you know, where for whoever's, if it's Carson Beck, whoever, we're not really going to know what they're all about if they're playing from leads and playing, in, you know, games that aren't that hostile. This will be a crazy environment. You never know what could happen in that one. To, to throw it back to uh, our Monday show, right? Discussion of like the different ways to rank strength of schedule. Tennessee has a harder win a national title schedule than AM does because you have to face Georgia and Bama. And A&M, maybe twice. Right, exactly. AM has a harder make a bowl schedule because the rest of the West is better than the rest of the East that you know AM and Tennessee have to face, respectively. And obviously AM has the, the Miami game in the non-conference, which they should win, but it's probably not a lock. Uh, so yeah, I I think Tennessee. Their ceiling is is pretty interesting. Like if they get like peak Milton and they get him to be accurate, that creates a really difficult thing to defend for opposing defenses. And maybe Tennessee can step up his defense just a little bit this year. 
Brandon Marcello uh, got to talk with a, a group called the Matrix Analytical, who put together a coach ranking system. It's a formula, and he revealed the top 10 on 24-7 sports in a column, and Josh Heupel was in the top 10. I, I don't want to question the math because I'm not going to look under the hood on that one, but I just did that. Does that feel right to you? Josh Heupel is a top 10 coach in college football right now. Can we look under the hood? Like, do, do they show their work? There was, we were revealed a scores and a stars in the article, like a 93 point something, something and stars, either four or five, the five stars were Nick Saban and Kirby smart one and two respectively. So that's, like where is is there a path to Josh Heupel top ten coach as we sit right now? I mean, I, I, just, I don't. This think, is I don't a, think he recruited well at UCF, and he comes to Tennessee. All of a sudden, he's a good recruiter. So, like the the, the polo shirt and the the money behind the polo shirt matters a lot for that purpose. Um, I think the guy's good, like a a good offensive coach. We don't know if he can run a good defense yet. We'll see. I'm trying to go through the top ten real quick to like see. All right, how who's getting offended here? Who am I leaving out? Who's behind him? Right. Uh, but I think, he's, I think he absolutely can play himself. Another solid year. I mean, even if they're ten and two this season, they lose to both Alabama and Georgia. I think that might alone put him in that conversation. I think I mean, that Josh Heupel is a functional coach, where you have a set of expectations that are have been exceeded for a season, and if he does it again, right, then we adjust our expectations, and I entertain those conversations with a little bit. A little bit more uh, credence, I guess, would be the word. Is it kind of similar to Mike Norvell? Like, if Mike Norvell was on there, like, ooh, is he top 10? But you'd want to see one more year, yes. you know, proving yeah. it? I think so, too. Got, think guy can score similar. points, did well at the G5 level. Uh, recruiting seems to be improving, not an elite level yet, and six has bowl. not had good defenses yet. So, yeah, I think they're very similar. Success-starved fan base and program trying to lead them back to the top of the sport. No, that's, that's actually a great you know, pair them together just sort of in the way we look at the 2023 season. Um, and I believe, don't, doesn't Tennessee play Texas A&M this year? Yes, they get at home. I thought they get Mississippi State from the West. No, they play A&M home too. Okay. Uh, October it's, 14th. Georgia, Alabama, and A&M. <laughs> Big disconnect between me being like, oh yeah, like, Tennessee, they're right there. And then just but like, under that scenario, you could see the combustible mix of Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher like falling apart at the seams. Right. It's like, yeah, they might be a, a 10 point favorite in that scenario. That's a hundred percent true. Um, all right, let's do let's go ahead and, and uh hit the break here. Coming up on the other side, we continue our conference by conference dark horse selection. So if you are trying to pick a team in the ACC, you can't have Clemson or Florida State. If you're trying to pick a team in the Big Ten, no Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. In the Big 12, no Texas, Oklahoma, or Kansas State. In the Pac-12, no USC, Utah, or Oregon. So with all those off the board, who are our dark horse picks for those conferences? Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, uh, we've got Nada riding alongside with us, Kanata Edwards from the Ion College Basketball Podcast, the Pick 6 Podcast. Uh, we love being able to work with him. This comes with the absence of Jordan, as Robert Michael in the chat asked if Jordan authored the article that had Josh Heupel as a top 10 coach. No, Jordan is in his first days of fatherhood. Uh, we got the heads up on Monday evening that uh, his son was born. So congratulations to Jordan and uh, send much love his way, their family, uh, spending some quality time together. So uh, congratulations to him for sure. Was it a, was yeah, it a Monday, awesome. Monday Good night? looking baby too. No doubt. Small. Yeah. yeah. I keep well, trying to talk my wife into having one more. So I'm like showing her the picture. I was like, look how cute this baby oh, is. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah. the the baby's very, very cute. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll let Jordan decide if he wants to let the baby's uh, Christian name get out here in public. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> want the identity stolen at one week old. What, what are the odds on, 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 on DK uh, getting a fourth? Oh, less than one. <laughs> She's in control of this one. That's the ultimate dark horse. Dark horse. Yeah, that is the <laughs> ultimate dark horse for sure. All right, back to our dark horse conversation. Um, let's if in the ACC, no Clemson, no Florida State. Danny, why don't you get us started? Where are you going? Uh, I went with the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, I think Mario Cristobal year two. You could see some of those uh, guys that weren't necessarily bought in. Uh, you could see them weeded out. Also, maybe we return to the form of Tyler Van Dyke that we saw from his freshman year. I was very concerned about the Josh Gaddis hire in the first place uh, as far as where exactly that stood. And I think that uh, with Shannon Dawson coming in, maybe you get him to return to form. And I still think that the roster talent can compete with almost anybody uh, in the ACC. You know, I, and I, I mean, when we did our secondary selections, looking at their safeties, they got studs all across the board in the back end. Um, I say, why wouldn't it be the Hurricanes? I think you have to have, like, I'm, I'm glad one of the three picked him because talent-wise, they do have a lot of athleticism on that team. Uh, some stuff I picked up from the weekend at Future 50. They feel great about Matt Lee, the transfer center they took from UCF, uh, and think he could be the best center in the league. Um, so, like, and he was a really good center for UCF, so that, that's not entirely shocking. I don't I'm trying to think, like, rack my brain about other top centers in the league. Like, none really... None stand out. Carolina took one from uh, from Coastal, I think. So I'm going to go Louisville here because they don't play any of the teams on our can't pick them list. No Clemson, no Florida State, and no North Carolina. Jeff Brom had better win some ball games this year because it all comes back around next year. Like next year, Clemson's on the schedule, Florida State's on the schedule, North Carolina's on the schedule. I mean, I guess we'll see how good UNC is in 24 without Drake May, but. This is an extremely winnable schedule for, for Jeff Brown. They took Jack Plummer, who knows the system, back from Cal. I mean, I, this is a team I bet a little bit at, at I think, 18 and 15 to 1 for the league just because of the path, right? They, they might be the fifth or sixth best team in the league, but they're, they have one of the more favorable paths to actually reach the game. Three is the number of true road games that Louisville plays across its entire 2023 schedule. 
Um, that would be at NC State, at Pitt, and at Miami because the Georgia Tech game is neutral as it's going to be in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium there on September 1st. Uh, they play against Indiana, but it's neutral in uh, Lucas Oil Fieldhouse. Like, there is such a nice sort of belly of Virginia at home, Virginia Tech at home, Boston College at home. Just, like, show up and get the job done. And, you know, toughest game on the schedule, in my opinion, which is against Notre Dame, that's not going to count for your conference schedule. We are talking about conference championship dark horses, uh, Louisville with uh, with a lot of new faces on board. I'll, I'll wait with I, the knee. Go ahead. The, Jack Plummer, too, I, he can play. Uh, the, at Cal on a bad team, he went toe-to-toe with Caleb Williams. He went toe-to-toe with Michael Penix. Like He had a pretty good year last season, and he knows the system, like you mentioned. So I think he could he'd come in. He, he would be one of those guys, too, that the NFL scouts. I mean, he's got the body type, the physicality, uh, the athleticism. He's, he's a really good quarterback, so I like that pick, bud. There's some North Texas 2022 vibes here where the, I mean, a couple of us took North Texas last year at long odds and with the plan to hedge it. Because like they, their chance to make the, the title game in their league because of the, the disparate schedules was pretty good, but you knew they would be a big dog or a decent sized dog, even assuming that they're playing like kind of towards their ceiling to make it. Obviously, like you can't play terrible and make it. But I mean, North Texas was probably the fourth or fifth best team in CUSA last year. Yet they made the title game. It does happen. Getting to the championship and lining up against Clemson or Florida State after avoiding them all year would right. be a little bit difficult. Um, I'm going to go with North Carolina here. It is very much, I I mean, (laughs) strike May, but seriously, like the, the consideration of North Carolina. And especially when we look at, you know, what the Tar Heels are going to have to do, they are going to have to be some road warriors, like the way that their schedule breaks down as you know, they do have late in the season, they've got, uh, they got to go at Clemson and at NC State in November, all at the end of the year. They've got a tough road trip at Pitt for their conference opener, but they went 6-0 and in true road games last season. Playing away from the soft, baby blue, beautiful trees all around Keenan Stadium, maybe that gave the Tar Heels a hard edge, and they're going to have to get it done. We We talk about them a lot, just sort of in-house, but uh, Devontae Walker coming in from Kent State. Everyone around Chapel Hill says the dude's going to be like a total difference maker, uh, be able to step right in and take over, not Josh Downs' role, but certainly a lot of that production is going to end up going Walker's way. Nate McCollum, a transfer from Georgia Tech as well. Loaded running back room. But I know you did the, you know, you just recently did, yeah. uh, recorded the summer school with Adam Smith of Inside Carolina. I've, I, I think they're the third best team in the ACC. And if they can get it done in the right spots, then they could find themselves contending for a spot in Charlotte for sure. The weakness on this team offensively appears to be offensive line, I guess, potentially, or at least offensive line depth. But I mean, how many good D lines do they play? South Carolina is not a good D line. Minnesota's okay. Like at Pitt will probably be a, a game that the O line needs to buck up. Miami is a theoretically good defensive line, but not in practice last year. So we'll see. Clemson legitimately a good D-line, and maybe at NC State, I guess. So they should just be able to outscore everybody. Chip, like, do you think the defense can take a jump with uh, second year under the new D.C. and maybe some different secondary coaching and a a whole lot of transfers in uh, in the secondary? It's hard to be worse. Like, they didn't take any defensive jump last year, really. Right. I I don't – I'm not expecting a lot from the defense. That's where you really get down to you're asking for – 
timely stops, you know, like just enough to be able to get through. Do you remember the, um, like the North Carolina Miami game in about the middle of the season? I think it ended up being about 28, 24, but Tyler Van Dyke was cooking in that game. He yeah. was moving the ball well, but North Carolina's defense was able to bow up and get enough stops, you know, actually held a team under 25 points per game. And that was good because North Carolina's offense wasn't lighting the world on fire in that spot either. So that is the, that's kind of like the spot where I circle from North Carolina's defense where like they, they were bad they were absolutely bad. But if there's a blueprint for being able to play well enough to win that game at Miami might, might be part of it. I think. All right, let's turn our attention to the Big Ten. We have eliminated Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State from consideration. Speaking of 25 points per game, bud. We All right. This, this, this <laughs> another like, like path plus competency plus I'm betting on maybe them no longer being incompetent on, on offense. We'll, we'll, look, I'm relatively confident I will play good defense again. It's a really hard to pick a team from the West because like Iowa would be, I think, be at best the fourth best team in the East and maybe the fifth, right? Depending on, on what you think of, of Maryland, I guess. But look who they play from the East. It's at Penn State, and uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see Michigan, and I don't see Ohio State. So they have the path to get there, and if you're going to play these low-scoring slugfests, occasionally just jack the variance up because the, there's like 30 total points scored in the game between both teams. Maybe you can, maybe you can pull one out. Um, this is, this is a really tough one. I, I don't think any of these teams can actually beat whatever team comes out of the East. Wisconsin, right? Danny. Love it. This might be my favorite one of all of them. Uh, I think they're the most, there's a lot of similarities between TCU and what they did and what Wisconsin could potentially do this year. You look going from a, a defensive coach who was a state, you know, a fixture there for a, a while and they had pretty decent success. I know it kind of fell apart, but then you completely go the opposite personality, everything uh, with an offensive coach and Sonny Dykes. You see the turnaround, you see the buy-in and the culture and the players get excited. They kind of get hot. I think Fickle coming into Wisconsin was one of the sneaky best hires. I also thought him bringing in an offensive mind, and he's going to say, hey, you go ahead and take your side of the ball. I'll take my side of the ball. I don't think he's going to have his hands over there trying to say, hey, we need to run it at this time. And I think Tanner Mordecai, with the experience he has, that's kind of the one um, you know, unknown. I know he's played a lot. Uh, the spring game wasn't great. But I, I'm going to go ahead and trust him that he uh, orchestrates this offense. They got a heck of a running back, too, that you could also fall back on as well in case they're not throwing the ball as great as they want to. That's what I was thinking. Like the the decision to hand the ball off to Braylon Allen is just putting the ball in your best player's hands. And when uh, Phil Longo, the new offensive coordinator at Wisconsin, had uh, Michael Carter and Javante Williams, two future NFL running backs in the same running back room. Do you know what he did with that offense? They ran the ball. They were like each a thousand yard rushers that season. So even though you're still operating with some more, you know, spread it out, modern concepts, a lot of work out of the gun, a lot of work with tempo, you're still going to be able to find a way to run the ball. Wisconsin still has the big bodies on the offensive line to be able to push you around. And I'm, I'm going to believe that the, def the defensive roster and depth chart that Luke Fickle inherited. He looks at it and he's like, man, upgrade. Like, I'm, I'm still a really good coach and this is an upgrade. Uh, Wisconsin was my pick as well.
Uh, all right, I Dan- think too the energy level is going to be so much amped up from where it was, and it's not an I, mean, I like Paul Chris; he's a great guy, but he's more he's not Luke Fickle, right? Not the energy that he's going to bring to the table. Anybody else that y'all considered to, since we got two Wisconsin? Did anybody? Did anybody consider Minnesota? No, I would no. consider uh, no hard no's, huh? I just think they're they're kind of a transition, maintain the gains type. Like maybe Kaliak Manis, the, the the Greek rifle, as they're calling him, maybe he <laughs> arrives a year early. But I I don't think they're on that level. They also don't. Doesn't Minnesota and Purdue don't they have the the real real tough draw this year where they have to play two of the big three from the East? Yes, yes. that's why. As soon as I looked at that, I took them off. I was considering them and then took we them both, off. And we both on had- the road. We had Minnesota and Purdue mentioned in our toughest schedules in the Big Ten. Yeah. So that's that's a draw, and I'm not ready to buy in on quarterback quite yet. I mean, I think Purdue's got a better quarterback situation. They're, Hudson Card's a good player. They're also at Iowa. Uh, Minnesota, Minnesota is. So is. That's, yeah, that's kind of uh, tough. All right, in the Big 12, we got three different picks here. Uh, Danny, why don't you get us started? Uh, I can't believe this is allowed to be a dark horse when you got the team that just made the playoff coming back uh, and and building and having the quarterback that actually was the starter to start the season last year uh, in Chandler Morris. And I think they've still got an offensive mind and Art, uh, not Art, Kendall Bryles that will be, you know, I think it'll look a little bit different, but I don't think you'll see much drop off there. Uh, and I also think, maybe we talked about the development of what they got. I think they hit the transfer of portal again pretty decently. I think they'll be able to build on some of that success from last year. Again, dark horse uh, from the philosophy here. I said, why not TCU? And I didn't want to take who you guys already had as well. <laughs> yeah, the number 118 team in uh, returning production, the TCU Horn Frogs. Lot Some plug and play. You know, you got some transfers in there, but... Uh, Bill Connolly, this SB plus, he was pretty high on him. He had him projected, I think, as a nine and three. Yeah, I, I think they'll be a good good ball club again. Um, I mean, they they definitely have some defensive line concerns. I'm trying to think back to what the summer schools said. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I could see TCU. The the three we were not allowed to pick here: Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas State. Per per the odds makers, like theoretical potential is doing a lot of work in the Big Twelve. Like the 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 favorites in the Big 12 are like the least proven teams out of all these things. Oh, uh, because TCU and Kansas State are ones that you look at and you're like, hey, like you were the ones that were just there. Yeah, yeah. like Kansas State makes sense. They, they won the league. They return a ton on offense um, with the exception of Deuce Vaughn. Their whole line's back. They, they should be pretty decent on, on, on defense. Oklahoma and Texas, I think, are there in the odds because it, their ceilings are higher than everybody else. Whether they'll hit their ceilings, very very much up for debate. But you've been what? What did you learn in the last like six weeks that has had you higher on Oklahoma State? Something's uh, changed in the tone of your voice and in the I way the wind's blowing. I I just so look, they lost a lot of uh, known commodities at transfer, yes. but I do think that some of the transfers Oklahoma State took are are decent players and, and, and can play a little bit of ball. And I look at their schedule, and I like it. So at Iowa State early, I have Oklahoma State favored there. They host Kansas State. They host Kansas, so I, you know, you got them two and one at West Virginia. I think Oklahoma State's a better team than the Mountaineers. Cincinnati, I've got them favored over Cincinnati. They got Oklahoma at home. Look, if it's the Oklahoma team from last year, that's a beatable team. If Oklahoma plays much better, which they could, then they'll probably lose that ball game at UCF, at Houston, BYU. And now I'm done with the schedule. No Texas, no TCU. 
No Texas Tech. I mean, they. I I like this slate. O- only four conference road games, and, and you're avoiding three of the, three of my top five. Seventeen returning starters, fifteen super seniors. Yeah, we still got super seniors out here swimming in the pool. Give me Texas Tech. Give me just like, I mean, a shocker. Your boy is out here really liking vibes, but the vibes are immaculate when we're looking at Texas Tech and Joey McGuire and the overall direction of that program. You know, Tyler Shuck obviously leading an offense that we expect will be very, very productive yet again. Uh, defensively, I think that you get a a floor that is not horrible. And you're not needing their ceiling to be super high on defense because of what you're able to do offensively when you get into uh, the way that the uh, breakdown of the schedule goes. They do not play Oklahoma. They get uh, Kansas State at home. And they are at Texas uh, there on a Black Friday at the very end of the season. But, you know, the in-state rivalry always put a little bit of a, you know, consideration to that as well. So give me Joey McGuire and Texas Tech as my... Big 12 dark horse. This conference has the best chance of us hitting one of these two. I mean, this this thing, because I wouldn't be surprised at all if one of the top three don't end up winning it. If, you know, it doesn't work out at Oklahoma, Texas, or Kansas State, uh, this thing is wide open. Tyler Shuck, too. I mean, he was hurt a lot. If he stays healthy, I think that's the big question for the Red Raiders, too. If they can keep him healthy, he's played really well when he's been in the system. I, I don't know if you guys saw Connolly's uh, piece on, on going for fourth downs. Like, Texas Tech was one of the most, like, stolen wins team last year of you know managing games correctly right Al- almost the polar opposite of the guy Texas. In Texas Tech beat Texas oh yeah Texas ain't in that's a good well answer. yeah but like they, they beat Texas because they they realized like this is gonna be a high scoring game punting is losing like it, it'll it'll make it'll make our loss if we lose a little bit less embarrassing but it will decrease our odds of actually winning the ball game which is kind of the, the objective in most cases unless you're just trying to like save face for the boosters uh yeah, O line's a little bit of a of a scare, I think. Like that, I I don't think they're actually good on the O line, but good enough. Returning starters, but what were those starters actually worth? Right, and then they look. They lose Tyree Wilson, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of confidence there that they'll be able to replace him. But that's still hard to replace a top ten pick. What does um, Danny got on the screen here? How do how do we get graphics? The in soccer we trust. I guess this is oh. gorilla. Oh, is it, wait, is this an ad read reminder? <laughs> where did I come? Where did that come from? I didn't do anything. I wish I knew how to do that. In soccer like we trust. I love it. Um, all right. Uh, in the Pac-12. So we said no USC, no Utah, no Oregon. Utah, of course, the two-time conference champs. Danny, where are you going? Uh, Washington. Give me Michael Penix coming back. Two uh, incredible wide receivers on the outside. He's got weapons. I think. Uh, um, Kalen DeBoer is an excellent coach. And I think this, I think he, we saw some that what he inherited wasn't that bad from a talent perspective. It was really a culture issue that had taken place. And I think he's got the team bought in. Disrespectful of the odds makers that Washington wasn't included. Right. I was ruled out. I agree. Easy money. Let's go ahead and take that. Bud, where'd you go? Like, I think Washington is probably the best team that's not on this list, but they do have. I think the toughest schedule of all the Pac-12 teams, right? That uh, among the the contenders, obviously. So, I mean, they have to play what at USC. Their 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 closing slate is brutal. At USC, host Utah. At Oregon State, host Washington State, and they also have the Oregon game. So I I'm oh they've got the USC problem. USC yeah. has that like 
gonna be five and zero, gonna be six and zero because all the tough games are after your off week. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm gonna go UCLA. Actually, uh, I clearly like. I, I don't think that they're quite on that level, but I think their ceiling, if they hit it, potentially could be. Uh, I, I have confidence that Chip Kelly is going to get good quarterback play, wh- whether it's freshman Dante Moore or maybe Garbers, the, the the returning backup who they seem to like, or maybe Colin Schley looks good in the fall. I, I heard he didn't look great in the spring. To get Carson Steele, uh, the, the running back from Ball State, who's who's pretty fun to watch. And I like their receiver room a lot. I, I think their defense could actually improve. I mean, they, they had a, a tragic situation last year a defensive coordinator, obviously, uh, which you know was sad in the, the, the recent passing uh, there uh, at UCLA. I think your defense could improve. But to me, like offensive line is the question here. I just don't know how many teams are equipped within that league to take advantage of that. I mean, at, at Utah is tough, but I mean, Oregon State, Stanford, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, USC, Cal, like those D lines scare you? Not really. I mean, give me Chip Kelly to to win a bunch of shootouts. Oregon State's got a team full of chainsaws over there. That's true. Yeah, that, I, I probably misspoke. That's going to be a brutal game. Um, Oregon State would be another good pick here, I think. If you wanted to make your, if we're going to rule them out and you want to believe that they're going to continue to build, um, never forget the Cover Three podcast told you that Aiden Childs might have that job by the end of the season. I, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. One last one, uh, Dark Horse. If you're going to go outside of the Power Five, let's just say to make the playoff. Danny. Yeah, I'll get it out there quick because I got to go. In honor of Tom not being back here, I'm going back to him prior to Cincinnati getting in. He's like, a group of five team will never get in. And it's for two reasons. One, I think the American, probably the perceived best, you know, power six. And Mike Oresco, sorry to him because he wants to get rid of that term and not use group of five and all that. Um, It's just, it's not as strong losing their four best brands and teams going uh, to the Big 12 uh, and losing them this year. The replacements aren't anywhere near as close. And Tulane plays Ole Miss. That'd be a nice win, but one win against Ole Miss isn't enough. And then I don't think SMU is going to go on the road and beat TCU in Oklahoma. So I don't think there's a, a team that's going to have a resume or perception or a high enough ranking to get in the playoff. I, I think I agree with you on that for the most part. I will say... I'm about 90% sure the reason why Tom does not want to do show bets anymore is because he lost 100 units to me and Danny by betting that Cincinnati would, would not uh, – with no G5 team would make the no playoffs. No G5 team would ever. And, yeah. and that year it happened. Yeah, so that uh, – show bets have gone away now. I don't know what – We used to have that tab in the dock, and it just doesn't get filled out anymore. Yeah, I, he just mentioned SMU and Tulane. Those, to me, those are the are two that you would take, right? Oh, man. Um, SMU, SMU's got a pretty talented roster. Preston Stone is a sophomore quarterback that I think is going to be pretty good. Rhett Lashley has a, a nice track record and clearly was strong last year. So the question for SMU, even as the league is getting easier, is that the very, very dumb, overly simplistic analysis is that they beat the teams that they should beat and that when they play the best teams on their schedule, they lose that there has been some ceiling that SMU has not been able to really break through despite having Sonny Dykes, despite having Chad Morris, despite having, uh, you know, very well-respected head coaches. So, you know, is Rhett Lashley going to be able to do that? Definitely a worthy question. So I I would say either SMU or Tulane probably. Yeah. I I mean, I think the, the, the point of like all these, the best G5 teams keep going to the P5. Like the quality of the best G5 team now is probably 
probably reduced. And at, at some point, you're like, okay, like w- which of these G5 teams are actually good? Boise, I guess, is is the other one. If we had to pick a third, maybe just because they they could they could run it. Like, who does Boise play non-con? Uh, well, they play Washington. Oh, yeah. Okay, that, that's difficult. I mean, not impossible, but right. certainly difficult if uh, if Taylor, Taylor Green doesn't you know become a better passer. He was a tremendous scrambler last year. So, uh, yeah, boy, watching Taylor Green quarterback was an amazing thing to do at like 1 a.m. in the morning. Oh, that Wyoming game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, (laughs) why are we throwing the football? Like, just they they have no ability. He looks like Vince Young out there running around. They they show no ability to tackle him. And they're like, all right, let's let's trick him with some play action. Um, It's snowing. Nobody has footing. Yeah, they all Boise State also play. They play at Washington. They've got UCF at home. They also throw Memphis on that schedule. Entertaining uh, little slate there for the Broncos. All right, one again Thursday, eleven a.m. Eastern time. Um, mailbag episode. We got some questions from the big old bag of mail, and also we always take the live questions. Let's go ahead and get it started. We've got a question from Robert that came in when we were talking about the Big Ten dark horse. Robert asks. How are you going to spend the entire offseason saying that the Ferentz family is stealing money and then pick Iowa? Uh, stealing strong, I think we said, like like embezzling. But, uh, yeah, I, I agreed. Look, the reason why I'm going to pick Iowa is the same reason why they're able to run this scam. It's the defense, right? You're betting on the defense because then it becomes the, the offense becomes immaterial, basically. I, I- Much love to Robert. Um, we hope you're going to be able to make it. That's a, that's a long-time listener always hanging out with us live. And... You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back 11 a.m. Eastern time, youtube.com slash cover3. Come and hang out live. Bud, thank you very much. Enjoy it. Thoughts and prayers for Tom's dog. ever set foot outside of the motel you will be shot don't miss the new showtime limited series based on the international bestseller for the last four years i've been a prisoner why are they keeping you here starring emmy award winner ewan mcgregor this is the brave new world that you dreamt of be very careful you are still a prisoner here everything in this new world comes at cost this is still my country a gentleman in moscow now streaming on paramount plus only with the paramount plus with showtime plan